Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Heather Hale is a film and television director, screenwriter, and producer with over 60 hours of produced content, including 20 brand new episodes of the television talk show Lifestyle Magazine. Heather wrote the $5.5 million lifetime original movie, The Courage to Love, which starred Vanessa Williams and Stacey Keach. Her newest book, Storytelling, How to Develop, Market, and Pitch Your Film and TV Projects, is published by Michael Weezy Productions. And her book, How to Work the Film and TV Markets, A Guide for Content Creators, was published by Focal Press Rutledge in 2017. And Carol, I understand you've known Heather for many years. Yes, Claire. Heather is a talented filmmaker. And Heather, we're so honored to have you with us. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure and my honor to be here. Good. Well, we're going to have a lot of fun today because I am really impressed with your book. It is incredible and it's needed. You've put an an incredible amount of information in story selling. It's uh, all about how to develop, market, picture film, and TV projects. That's a lot to put in one book, and you've done a good job. <laughs> Thank you. Right? So we'll probably just cover a tiny part of this great book, but let's start with the core development and the marketing component. So please tell us something that I think is critical and and very important and seldom mentioned by filmmakers, the unique selling point. Yeah, in uh, advertising and marketing, that's something they talk about all the time, your unique selling point or your unique selling proposition. They call it your USP. And that's what sets your project apart and makes it stand out from the crowd of all your competitors. And so for filmmakers and content creators, ideally, ideally your USP is in your logline, simply, elegantly, and above all, quickly conveying what will compel your target audience to pay to view your film or TV show. I, I like to say to ticket or click it, whether in a cinema or home theater. Wow. So how do you find that? How do filmmakers find what's so unique about their film? I think a lot of times it's the collision of ideas. It's, it's what's fresh and different that we haven't seen before. You know, is it ripped from the headlines? Is it from the zeitgeist? What is it? Is it your unique point of view, your unique subject matter expertise that you bring or your frame of reference? Or are you doing a hybrid of two different genres? Like what or the way you're telling the story? We have so many nonlinear storytelling uh, techniques now, or unreliable narrators. What are you doing that's fresh and different that we haven't seen before that makes it stand out? You know, you think of like this is us with the two parallel storylines. That's, you know, we've all, and even uh, Jane the Virgin, you know, it's a telenovela, but we've never seen it with that kind of fun, tongue-in-cheek, campy style. Like what makes it more, what makes it fresher and more relevant to today's audience? Right. And the, because this is very important in marketing and it, and uh, in the book Contagious, uh, Jonah Berger makes a big deal about this. He talks about mm-hmm. uh unique selling points and Snapple and how they have all that information inside yep. their cap and uh, yeah. that, that, that people talk about that. It, it's a talking yeah. point, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's what, you know, they find uh, that bonds them and builds rapport. You look at like the game of Thrones, there's so much social media discussion over that because people root for, they get emotionally engaged. You know, what is your point of entry that makes for rabid fans? Because, I forget who said it, but viral is not a business plan. You can't make something go viral. It has to catch on. Exactly. 
All right, so now let's go to one of my favorite things. That is the log line. So tell us about log line construction, and I want you to include your book had something really great called Six Cues Plus the Spine of Your Log Line. Yeah, well, a simple way to build your log line is to start with the six questions journalists have used since the beginning of news to tell a story. Sometimes they call it the five W's, who, what, where, when, why, and sometimes how. Or we all learned in school the inverted pyramid that inherently forces you to stick to the spine of your story, to stay focused on just the facts, ma'am, you know, if you picture an old, old-timey old reporter. So you start with the most compelling details first before funneling down to the rest of your pitch. So, for example, who is the main character? It's the protagonist. It's also who stands in his or her way, the antagonist. And sometimes this could be a what, like an antagonistic force, but you're always better if that is personified as a who. Next is what, what happens to him or her. That's your catalyst or inciting incident. What could also refer to what he wants or she wants, what the protagonist's goal is, and what's the problem, what's the conflict, what are the obstacles and stakes. And the climax is the most important what. It's the most important moment in the script. Where and when is where the story's set. Um, the story world, the milieu, or the backdrop. And that should influence all the other elements of the script. How does the main character overcome all that adversity? Well, there's your plot. How does your protagonist or other characters evolve psychologically? There's your transformational arc. And how, are, how does he or she resolve the conflict? And that's how your story ends, which drives back to your climax. And ultimately, the why is why should we care? That's the theme. So I often think the plot is what a story is about, while the theme is what the story is really about, the undercurrent. The undercurrent, yes. And there's an emotional theme in there somewhere usually, right? Yep, that's the why. Why do we care? That's the theme. Yeah, why? Why Why would I watch this? Why would the protagonist put him or herself through all that? That's the why, the driving force, the theme. And typically, you know, your plot, your character arc and your plot is a metaphor for that theme. Well, how important do you think the logline is to selling your product? I think it's critical. It's the absolute, I, I joke that it's the reduction sauce. It's, it's everything boiled down to that one sentence, sometimes two sentences, and it's sometimes all that anyone will hear. And it's what gets uh, pitched over the phone across the you know, credenza across conference room tables, it markets and meetings. It's, that's the one line that people will use to default to. So you want to be the one who's crafted that perfectly. Right. Exactly. And have it just <laughs> tattooed on See? you or right inside yeah. your DNA. <laughs> so you, right. you can pitch anybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> You need to be able to wake up from a dead sleep and pitch perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. Okay, well, uh, you talk about in the book log lines with irony. And to me, that is a really great sales pitch because I love irony. And you find that many times uh, it gets their attention. Absolutely. It, it also, it, it buries in, like in comedy or even in horror, it's the gap between expectation and reality that makes people laugh or jump. And so when watching a movie or a television show, viewers like to proactively add two plus two for themselves to try to figure out the mystery, figure out who will end up with who, second guess the flaw in the antagonist's plan. So just as you try to make the script in an engaging, fun read, and allow the story, you want to allow the story to unfold similarly for your pitch listeners. So when the log line is an intriguing puzzle to solve and inherent in that conflict is implied by these juxtapositions of this irony, that's the arc that launches this inevitable climax and it shows what the character arc is going to be. And, and irony, not only is it fantastic in a log line, it's a really terrific rewriting tool because you can work backwards and forwards from logline to script and back again, mining the collision of subtext to explore maybe missed creative opportunities and where you could be pushing boundaries so that that would be more glaring. It would be more obvious what the character has to learn and overcome. It would be more obvious the contrast between that character if they're, you know, a fish out of water um, and what they're trying to write in the world. 
that irony is a really critical. I think it's critical. Well, Blake Snyder says you can't write your script till you've got the log line. I think there there are a couple ways of doing that, and Blake, of course, is brilliant, um, just brilliant and beloved, and he's right often. And I think there are times where I think it depends on the kind of project and the kind of writer you are. So, for example, a plot-driven, high-concept project, which is a lot of what Blake talked about in terms of commercial Hollywood projects, um, sometimes if it's plot-driven, the logline will drive the premise, the world. Um, If it's character-driven, it might be muddier to find, and you might need to actually execute the expression of the idea through an entire screenplay to come back and figure out what the reduction sauce is of your logline. I I liken loglines to reduction sauce, and I don't know if you're a cook or a foodie, but a reduction sauce is could be a sweet sauce drizzled over dessert or a savory gravy dolloped over protein or vegetables. And it starts with this huge terrine of raw ingredients, like your screenplay, like your documentary, like your reality TV show, whatever it is, you have this huge amount that are slowly boiled down over time, reducing each flavor to its core essence, and then ultimately strained into this rich, dense, fully saturated, but in completely original new puree and that's your log line so like if you see a broadway musical or an opera the overture reveals snippets of all the music and moods to come and log lines are this alluring tease it's a synthesis of all the essential ingredients so writing that log line is like a microcosm of your script um, just as you know editing a moving piece of content so I think reverse engineering backwards and forwards enhances both. One informs and improves the other. Okay, that makes sense because sometimes when people start out to make a documentary, they think yeah. they're, they, let's say they think they're going to take Route 66, and then all of a sudden they're on a farm road somewhere and they've really hit the heart of the story, and it was nowhere what they thought in the beginning. I, exactly. I think documentaries and increasingly good reality television, they're uh, part journalism, part filmmaking, all storytelling. And so you think of like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. So documentaries are uncontrolled cinema where the only semblance of control is coming from the edit bay. So when you're writing a log line or a treatment or one sheet, whatever, for a documentary, they can be challenging, especially when they're a work in progress, because even you're still a work in progress many times in editing up till your premiere. So it's hard to outline what no one could possibly predict. But like every other project, it's still about the big idea. What will help sell or promote that project? And so there has to be some unifying theme or an identified target audience and some point of entry that you as a documentarian were compelled to be attracted to this project. It got under your skin for some reason. So if you have finished the project, you'll have a polished premise that will elaborate the outcome. If not, your working logline can simply present the milieu, the central character, the world, issue, theme, whatever it is that you intend to explore. So I think it's, I think it's a fascinating process, but your, your narrative position will likely influence who you go to for grants, financing, distribution. You know, you only know what your inspiration, intentions, and expectations are. You don't know what your <laughs> result is going to be. Right, right. Well, while we're on this, let's cover the tagline because many people don't even get that created to the last minute. And I think it can be very beneficial in raising money and selling your film. Yeah, absolutely. So taglines are just a few extra words that can sort of put up to your logline or even your key art. So they can be the punchline. They can be the foreboding ironic twist we talked about. They can be the something to think about that inspires audiences to want to see the show or even better in most of the cases with people, maybe your listeners, to get investors to want to fund to see that come to life or distributors to want to secure for their platform. So taglines are understood within the context of the title and the log line. And when they're accompanied by key art, they give you the whole picture. So we're a visual medium. Taglines help viewers and or readers understand the whole picture in an instant. Like I always say, sell the sizzle, not the steak. So, um, so for example, 
like if you remember the social network about Facebook, the tagline was, you don't get to 500 million friends without making a few enemies. That's a really, that sets up what some of the conflict is and the world. Um, I have a bunch listed in the book, a chicken run, escape or die frying. So that's a pun that also shows you the stakes. You know, so taglines just allow you to, um, to give that, that extra angle or that extra twist. And a good thing to do is to look on INDB at your comps, your comparable projects, and look below storyline. You'll see plot keywords and taglines. And you can click to see what other projects, um, what were their taglines, what were the keywords that they used, <clears throat> and then kind of brainstorm using other people's taglines. Not that you're not remotely are you cloning or stealing or using someone else's uh, idea, you're just looking <clears throat> at different angles to push it to see what's been explored or not explored. And it can be a really rich, fertile territory for brainstorming. Well, you mentioned keywords there. Now, how <clears throat> how important? I hadn't thought about that, but I guess if you're trying to sell a film, you, you've got to have your keywords online so Google can find them. Is that right? Uh, yes and no. It's, it's interesting. We live um, in a very interesting time, like in the old days, TV Guide and even IMDb in the early stages, they always encouraged you to go ahead and put spoilers in there with the idea being that we lived in a syndicated rerun world and that if something had aired on TV, you had seen it. And so, but what we live in now, 500 some odd channels, the fragmentation of the dial and over the top television networks with streaming. Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, all these other outlets, we live in a uh, kind of a fear of missing out world and a lot of binge washing. So you might not have ever seen Lost and you, if friends talk about it, and you want to go back and watch from the beginning. So I think you want to be careful of spoilers, careful of giving stuff away um, so that people who stumble upon this content in a new and fresh way can enjoy it as it was originally intended. So I always um, be careful with that, but in terms of keywords, you are thinking of, like, like in your log line, you want to be very specific that every single world, every single word, does heavy lifting. Like it should reflect a key factor in your story. So there's precision and specificity. You want to stick to nouns and verbs as much as possible, and only use adjectives or adverbs when they add a contrasting layer of depth. So you may use something like to describe your protagonist, his lead-off characteristics should relate to the plot and theme. And this can be a first impression trait or a fatal flaw or their vocation or their role in the show. So, like, if it's a procedural, maybe they're a detective, a doctor, a school teacher, or within maybe a feature film, it's what's their role relevant to the protagonist, the mother, the stepfather, an organ recipient. So you want to make sure that you're revealing the embedded conflict, like a, I think I put in this uh, book, disgraced politician, lapsed Catholic, assassin with Alzheimer's. So you begin to see, you can just imagine what the, that conflict would be based on the specific words you're using. And they're so important. One of my favorite log lines is a wealthy businessman. I mean, I can picture gear uh, that way because he he looks like a wealthy businessman. Yep. Hires a uh -huh. hooker for the weekend mm -hmm. and falls in love. Now that's irony, right. and and yep. that is a good. Sounds like a really good film to me. And look at your their so specific businessman hooker, wealthy uh -huh. is helpful because there's a lot plenty of struggling businessmen. So the the ad the very you don't say handsome or good looking because they're movie stars. We assume they're handsome and good looking. Right? It's just yes. wealthy businessman, hooker, falls in love. It's super economical and succinct. Economical in words, but powerful. And you can remember it and you get a visual. And that's the beauty to a good log line is everyone you pitch it to can turn around and pitch it up the ladder and across the daisy chain of the constellation of all the people involved. The pithier it is, the more likely they're going to reflect it the right way. It sucks when someone re-pitches your log line and they screw it all up and they don't even get the story right. And, it, you know, the, the momentum 
falls apart because it's not being pitched well, and that can be the result of a poor logline. It doesn't hold together. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well done. Okay. Well, let's get into the what is so confusing. <laughs> it's the one-page outline. You you call <laughs> it a, a summary. <laughs> some some say outline. Some say overview. Um, right. It's a recap. I mean, I, everybody has a different word for it, but yes. it is a one yeah. to two page story of your film. And to me, that has to be really good because I teach a lot with Tom Malloy, who's made mm-hmm. maybe 12, 15 films now. And he says yeah. the majority of his investors never read the script. They make a decision on this outline. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, if if they look at your uh, screenplay or pitch deck, maybe you're lucky if they skim through and they see third, you know, five. They remember five percent of it, but a one sheet, they're probably going to remember thirty percent of it. So it's so much less, and it's highlighted. You you you've kind of pointed out the important stuff. So there's not really a definitive standard or unified terminology. People use different words to mean the same thing. So there's a lot of confusion as what's a summary, what's a synopsis. And I, even writing the book, I looked up synopsis in the dictionary, and it said summary. So that's not very helpful. <laughs> and, and then a one sheet is two pages. So that's Hollywood, right? So for my purposes in the book, I wanted to be at least internally consistent so that I could have a dialogue with my readers and be referencing things that we understood in the course of that book to be X, Y, Z. So while it's not the industry standard, almost every project ends up on IMDb at some point, and you're going to have to market through that platform. So I thought, well, that's a good starting place for a ballpark. So IMDb limits summaries on their site to under 220 words, so that's about a paragraph, and synopses have to be over 239 words to 936, which is about a couple of paragraphs to top two pages. So a simple way to remember it, and this, there's none of these are rules. These are just like mnemonic devices just to help us remember. A logline is one sentence. Of course, it can be a couple, but a logline is a sentence, a summary is a paragraph, and a synopsis is a page. Of course, it could be a couple pages, but just in general. So your logline shows off the concept, and the synopsis is the first opportunity for your writing to shine. So the book, of course, goes into great detail as to what's in each one of them, and there's templates and really great exercises. I tried to do and action and exercise at the end of each chapter. So it's almost as if I was teaching a workshop and there was your exercise. But the summary is like the big picture bird's eye view, while the synopsis is sort of a beat-by-beat polished prose. And they're both, again, coming back to the reduction sauces. They just aren't as boiled down as densely as the log line. And so a good rule of thumb is to have a, at least a one sheet for each project. And that's like a cover page or an executive summary of your script or, or documentary or book, whatever it is. And it should be a genre appropriate and evocative and emotionally engaging. You want to emulate the viewing experience with your marketing materials. So one sheet is typically both sides of a single piece of paper That'll include a title, sometimes a title treatment where it's sort of a, a cool font that reflects your genre. Uh, it'll have your really refined log line, your super polished summary, which could be a paragraph, or maybe it's a synopsis, maybe three quarters or a page and a half. You might have key art or a few images. Um, and in the book, I talk about all these DIY strategies, low budget, no budget, to get these images. And then don't forget your contact info. You might have a logo. You might have maybe a one- or two-inch headshot thumbnail in your bio. And your bio might be just a sentence or two. You might not if – if you don't have good credibility, you might leave off your bio and just let the idea stand on its own. So it just sort of depends on what you're working with. Exactly. Well, I like it when they just tell me the film. I mean, you know, from going yeah. – from my film grant, I like it. Because I asked for the bio separate, but I mm-hmm. want the essence of the film, and I want it now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. And uh, it's very important that because when you're comparing one project to another, that yeah. uh, if you grab my attention and you give me some irony and you give me a good story, you go ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Well, and and it's 
possible, too, your one sheet is just one page with a log line, a little paragraph, and contact info. It doesn't have to have all that. You have to always think about <clears throat> who's your target audience and what's your end game for each piece of paper. Is this a business-to-business, -business, a B2B presentation? Is this business-to-consumer promotion? Are you doing a one sheet? You know, one sheet, you know, in the old days, these were the 27 by 40 posters that were the lobby cards in theaters. And then that phrase has sort of morphed into postcards at film festivals, one sheet, beautiful, you know, full-color cardstock at markets. So it has lots of meanings. So you might be pitching something that's in the can directly to consumers at a film festival, or you might be having a white and black Microsoft Word printout that's just text. Those could both be one sheet. So that's why it can be confusing. You just have to think about what are you using it for, who's it going to, and what's the end game? Are you looking for them to click a button for $2.99 to watch something streaming, or are you looking for someone to put up $16 million? Like what is the, what's the motivation of what you're trying to get with that marketing material? Yes, absolutely important to know who you're talking to, who you're talking to. And why. Yeah, what are you and trying to accomplish with that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you, this book, Story Selling, um, is so good. I, uh, I think I'm going to use that from now on in my intentional filmmaking class because we do this over four months, so I can have them do some of the homework in there, particularly uh, yeah. uh, it, there's just so much to learn. And you've covered every aspect that I am teaching, but you've got it in even more detail. So this oh, is great. Yeah, but I tried to think I of wanna... what, you know, what everyone needs to know and then make it, you know, what if you've never done it before? How can you start at the beginning and step through it? And what if you've done this for 20 years and have not had the success you want? Maybe here's some better ways of trying. So I tried to speak to aspirants and veterans alike, film and television, the whole, maybe you're just a writer and all you want to do is get your script optioned. Maybe you're someone who's trying to create a project for you to star in or direct and you're going to raise the money yourself, like the whole gamut, the whole spectrum I tried to address. Yes, and you've covered documentaries, too, very well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Now, in your book you say you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Boy, <laughs> I teach people that, that people make decisions about you in less than 30 seconds, and they do. So you don't <laughs> want to go out on the seven. street. Yeah. Seven they say seven seconds. Yeah, right. and it takes you a tenth of a second to make a – I mean, you think about a blind date, <laughs> you know, within a tenth of a second. And yeah. It, you know, attention spans are shorter and shorter. So, yeah, 30 seconds is generous. It's about seven seconds. It's right away. It's instant. Right. So you have to be prepared. There's a lot to learn about this. Uh, I, I did a whole show uh, on – the uh, the pitch and how important mm -hmm. your presentation is, but it, it's all about that first that first few seconds when people meet yeah. you, and the Grabbing most important thing yeah. is that you don't want to go out on the street too fast because if you're not fully armed and ready to pitch your yeah. project at the highest order, that you're not going to get back in front of that person again, right? Exactly, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. that you've got to have your pitch, your proposal, your budget, uh, and you really have to know your market. You get into market mm -hmm. uh, data in your book, and you're the only one I've ever seen that really uh, shakes that tree and says, look, this is so important <laughs> that you know who yeah. your market is, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's really important to, that people are ready when they go out to, to raise right. money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of so you know people who pitch the the wrong things. You know, you can't pitch a horror slasher to Disney. Come on, like know who you're pitching to and know what it is you've got. And that's a, obviously an extreme example. But I have a lot of exam. I won't bore you with them, but two that just come to mind at the moment. I have a really terrific project that was based on my brother's true life story, and his life came out of the closet. And so it was this really you know, family drama, kind of a Neil Simon type family drama, sort of as good as it gets. But it was basically a male driven lifetime movie. 
well, Lifetime doesn't do male protagonists, and guys don't want to watch a protagonist with a situation he can't solve. So I had, like, created this box I couldn't get out of. I have another project that is uh, possibly a faith-based film, but it's so gritty. It's set in the world of rock and roll and drums and you know, sex and drugs, it's just never going to be a faith-based film. Under And even if it has faith-based elements, that's not its audience. It's not its demographic. So you have to figure out, you can't just shave corners off your project, squeeze it into a round hole. You have to really let it be what it is. And that may mean, you know, it's hard to get Hollywood to invest in things they don't, things that haven't been successful before. So if you can prove these two or three things were successful before, the question is, can you have that crockpot stew in one project and still have it find its audience? So, yeah, it's knowing your audience and knowing the strengths of your project and your weaknesses. You know, when you pitch to friends, whether it's, a, you know, an equity investor presentation and you're just practicing and role-playing, let them beat you up. You want your friends asking the tough questions so that you're prepared for those when they come up. And if you can nip them in the bud and head it off at the pass, you can address their, if you know that who you're pitching to is thinking in the back of their mind, oh, here's a challenge, here's a problem, because your friends have helped you practice, you can address those right off the top, at, at, you know, seamlessly in your presentation so that the investor goes, oh, well, they thought of that. Okay, and they move on. It's like a, a, a mental speed bump, and you help them get over it and keep listening to you. Yes, the pitch is the key. Uh, and we do at, uh, from the heart for our physically sponsored filmmakers. Every two weeks, we have a class where people can get on uh, their telephones and pitch us. And yeah. then there's five of us on the call, and we all give feedback. And anybody who calls in, we usually have around 30 people on our calls. They give feedback. So um, it's fun because you're in a safe environment, and that's what it, you need to to be honest and pitch. But, boy, did they get great feedback. And sometimes they will come back two, three months later and pictures again, and it's like, wow, what a change. Night and day, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and yeah. the people listening, you can learn just as much listening to someone else get feedback because your mind is not, you're not being defensive, you're not emotionally invested in what's going on. So you can sit back as a more of an objective observer and go, oh, I do that. Or, oh, yeah, I totally get why people were confused. So when you listen to someone else pitch and give feedback or listen to someone else receive feedback, that can be just as valuable as you being the one in the hot seat. Yes. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. Well, I noticed on your website that people can book you for speaking engagements. So tell us about this. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I actually have – I love to teach. It's one of my favorite things in the whole wide world to do. And I call it edutaining because I try to inform, empower, and inspire while hopefully making people laugh and even sometimes cry. So uh, keynote speaking has treated me to traveling all around the world from Australia to Barcelona, Hong Kong, Japan, London, Dublin, just all across the U.S. And I have been brought in to teach ABC drama execs how to pitch. And I have, like, programmed panels and moderated for the PGA, the Burbank Comedy Fest, So on my site, there's a whole list of the writer's workshops in film and television festivals and markets that I've conducted workshops at. I even judged the Marseille Web Fest, and I did Nat P's Hollywood Player Pitch Fest. So I um, love to come keynote. I love to customize weekend workshops or do week-long destination retreats. I will take any excuse to travel and meet storytellers. (laughs) Oh, what fun. Yes, that's, that's a great life. Wonderful. Yeah. Now, your this book is uh, this is May of 2019, and your book is just being published in what June or July? I think it goes to the printers on Friday, like two days. So I don't know how long it takes. Yeah. So Michael Weezy and Ken Lee from Michael Weezy Productions, who are amazing. Um, I just know that it's going to the printer on Friday. So I don't know how long that takes before it's available, but I hope that anyone who reads it will please write a review and feel free to reach out to me directly. If you have questions, my email is simply heather at heatherhale.com, and I'm happy to answer. I love to hear if anything was confusing or if I can clarify anything because, you know, the book 
of course, I put my heart and soul into it, but I also teach. So if things are unclear, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm helping storytellers around the world. Terrific. Okay. Now, um, tell us about your first project, The Courage to Love, and particularly about your UCLA teacher. I love that story. <laughs> well, Frank McAdams was one of my teachers at UCLA. I did their extension program, so I got my degree in creative writing, but then I later went to UCLA for their screenwriting certificate in film and television. And Frank, I think he was my first screenwriting teacher ever, and it was, I think, my first class ever. And Frank is this terrific, can-be intimidating uh, Vietnam vet, gruff curmudgeon, but he's got a, a heart bigger than him. He's lovely. Um, but I, I don't know that I misunderstood the class description, or maybe it was just me that he was beating down because he knew I could take it. But I did three months of chomping at the bit to write fade in, fade in, fade in. He would not let me start my screenplay until I had hammered out that treatment. And this was the toughest, like, beginning, middle, and end, first act. What are your turning points? Three months writing just this treatment. <laughs> but, um, oh, it's awful. It's so hard. hard so hard. But I got an opportunity to pitch, to send this. It turned out to be a five-page treatment. And it went to uh, Emily Gerson Sainz, who said it was the best treatment she'd ever read. And I was so honored because it was the first one I'd ever written. But he drilled me on that. And so I literally finished his class and never, ever got to type fade in. But, man, what happened was uh, she got it to uh, Vanessa Williams. And they said, okay, great. We'd love to see the script in 20 days. And oh, I great. had to write the Yeah, exactly. And I, it's, it's funny. It's, I've said this story before, but. I called her up. I was so nervous, and I, my, it's a long story, but basically my writing partner or the, the person who had procured, who was friends with Vanessa Williams, had said, oh, wait till you read the script. It's great. Well, the script hadn't been written because my teacher hadn't let me type fade in. I'd just been doing this treatment. So I asked uh, Emily Gerson Sainz, who I said, is that a really firm deadline? And she said, oh, no, no, not at all, sweetheart. She said, I'll be in Cannes in 20 days. Vanessa Williams will be in Cannes in 20 days. And we will both be interested in your project together in 20 days. But no, 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 the deadline's not firm at all. Like basically here's your, not even a window of opportunity. Here's your sparkless jug tunnel for you to get through. So yeah. I literally quit my job. I quit my job. I dropped everything and started writing around the clock. But because I had this rock solid treatment, I knew every beat Every moment, um, bless Frank's heart, I wrote that script. I had to do it in 18 days because I had to FedEx it to France. But it got set up, and it got made into the Courage to Love that Vanessa Williams starred in. But it came from doing all that heavy lifting in the treatment, and I was able to write the script very quickly because all the hard work. Wow. And I'd done research. Um, it was a true life story. I'd done research. This is incredible. That's a great story, <laughs> 20 days to write, yeah. incredible. Well, tell yeah. us how, in your book, you mentioned how to protect your intellectual property. And so many filmmakers yeah. are always asking that question. Well, I'm not an attorney, but um, I have copywritten probably 40 some on projects. It's not that hard. You know, people are always curious and worried and think someone's going to steal your stuff. It's too much work to steal it. Of course it happens, but it's very rare. But you want to protect your material at the earliest possible point to evidence ownership. And copyright is always your strongest legal position. But you can't copyright an idea, only its execution. So you can copyright your synopsis or treatment online. I usually just wait for my first draft of a script or manuscript. But you just go to the secured electronic copyright site. So that's HTTPS uh, colon forward slash forward slash and then think electronic copyright eco.copyright.gov and I don't I think it's 50 bucks could be 45 could be 60 somewhere in there it's around 50 bucks and you can even copyright an unscripted program you know a reality tv format so copyright protects as I said the expression of the idea so you could actually draft a hypothetical pilot or a sample episode with an you know avatar or archetypal contestants host of personalities to show how your unscripted reality show or your uh, game show format or your documentary might 
play out, but you're trying to express the idea and protect it and kind of show its provenance, like that you came up with this idea, and it might change and morph. You might have 17 drafts before it gets sold, but this is, this is the expression of the idea, and you're going to copyright that nugget, and it is, you have to do that. You just have to do that. Okay. That's great. Now, I want to go to the story selling section called Advanced Marketing and doc- and Development Deliverables. So <laughs> let's cover the pitch package for features and docs. I think that documentary filmmakers really need to hear this because I'm finding more and more docs when they apply for my film grant have a pitch package, and I love it. Yeah. Well, we're in a visual business, and the more you can express you know, it's it's like you're not showing a mechanical drawing of what this, you know, it's, it's the emotional evocative almost lookbook for what you're doing. So the book, as you saw, when I started to write this, I thought, well, I'll just do this in a logical linear progression. I'll just do mark development, marketing, pitching. But it's this continuum that can constantly overlaps and incessantly interchanges. And it's like the stages of grief. They don't always go in the right order. They don't always all occur. So you're, these three phases are, are perpetually this development marketing discovery process, and they inform one another. So it's a little bit like a, a three-legged stool, and anytime you move one of the legs, it's going to, like, let's say, for example, you're pitching, and you stumble, and the, the catcher, for lack of a better word, or pitchee, um, is confused. That might reveal glaring problems inherent in your script. Their questions might highlight plot holes or credibility or pacing issues, and that may force you to go back to the, the rewriting table. Um, when you're clarifying character bios in your TV show Bible or your series Bible, it might force you to rethink your entire series arc because things get distilled, and it's like a microscope, and you begin to see that when you refine your pitch deck, it forces you to hone your log line. And then that might make your target audience more clear, and that might change your hit list. So I always feel like it's a bit like being stuck in Groundhog Day development hell. And so as you're doing this, like with the doc, same thing in the development of the doc, is you're editing and changing. Um, the, the only thing that coerces its release is a deadline to get it out there. So the pitch package or pitch – so a pitch deck – you can think of like a deck of cards or a PowerPoint presentation. So a lot of times people will do their, their presentation very visual, almost like a lookbook in a PowerPoint presentation so that if they're at a market or a festival, they could literally pull out their iPad or even an iPhone and flip through these small screens that might have images. A lot of times when I speak, I'll use a PowerPoint presentation without any words or bullets and that becomes like a visual teleprompt of, oh, this is what I'm going to talk about now. So it helps you stick to the spine of your verbal pitch because you have visual cues of what you're talking about. Then you might have yes. an actual, yeah, like an equity investor proposal or a distributor presentation. You know, it could be a, a longer, maybe a 15-page document that has character bios or for a documentary, maybe you're talking about the problem you know, the history of how we got here, who are the people that are making strides to change, you know, whether it's an environmental issue, an animal rights issue, political, whatever it is, you're talking about the milieu of the world, who are the players you're following or that you did follow. Again, it's this, it's this process. I, I think of um, business plans, pitch decks, screenplays as living, breathing documents that evolve and mature as your grasp and capture of that content becomes more crystal clear, the better able you are to make the presentation. And here, I mean, I, I do, I write business plans and pitch packages and do budgets and schedules and things and investor waterfalls. But I think it's really important for the filmmaker or content creator to do that work themselves if they can. Maybe you need to hire a consultant to help you. Maybe you need help finding the research sources, which, by the way, on my website are a ton of resources free for people who are doing this kind of research. But when you're the one who's done the math and made the mistakes and looked at how many screens was this uh, documentary on in the different theaters, how many weeks was it there, 
you begin to have ownership over that material because you've worked it backwards and forwards. And so while it's grunt work, doing this writing and rewriting of these pitch decks or proposals or business plans, and you may feel like 90% of it no one ever reads or sees, it doesn't matter because it's like the tip of the iceberg. When you're in that pitch meeting, you have earned the confidence to give those statistics, to give that information because you've earned the right, because you've, you've worked that material backwards and forwards. So that effort is never wasted. It makes you shine verbally. Yes, you do. Uh, I love it when people call me and start pitching. They do a chart a pitch, but they they know their numbers as statistics. Uh, yes. And yep. this is where I came up with this uh, through uh, – Made to uh, uh, stick, uh, I love a sticky story, which is something concrete, mm-hmm. something credible, something yep. emotional, uh, and Did you uh, say shocking. stick, like S-T-I-C-K? Yes, stick? made to stick. Well, that's what they call, you know, sticky websites are websites that attract people again and again and again. It's like slide paper, they stick to it. So, yeah, I think that's Oh, great I didn't know analogy. that. Oh, sticky websites. Call, yeah, so that sticky, sounds good. Sticky websites, and they force you to come back again and again and force you to crawl around and look at it and hit page after page. Stick, you get stuck to it. And that's what a documentarian <laughs> does with an idea. It gets, you know, like, something stuck under their, you know, they, they can't let go of it. It's in, you know, they can't not finish that. They're compelled to do it, and you want viewers to feel that way. And yes. investors and all your champions and fans, you want them grabbing onto that and being stuck to it because they just can't wait until they see it come to fruition. That's powerful. Exactly. And if you've got it clearly set up in your pitch, these elements we're talking about, concrete, credible, emotional, and shocking, in, in wrapped in a story, this is yeah. we're back to what you said earlier where one person can pitch another and still have the essence of the film. You're, you're basically helping them help you. Give them the tools to help you build that house. So if you swap out a, you know, quick half-assed screwdriver, they're not going to be able to help you. Give them the very best tools you can. And then if you're lucky, they will refine those tools and make them better. It, you know, it's a collaborative art. Hopefully everybody comes to the table, hopefully sharing the same vision and parallel goals, and, and, you know, they help you get that precious project, that baby, to the finish line. I'm exactly. mixing my metaphors there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, this has been it's so a, much it's fun. It's a metaphor reduction sauce. <laughs> Well done. Okay, now tell us one more time how people can find you and your email address, please. Oh, no problem. I am on um, my website is heatherhale.com. That's H-E-A-T-H-E-R-H-A-L-E.com. And on there I have a website for story, I mean, whatever you call it, you know, drop down for story selling and for my other book, How to Work the Market. And on there are free film and TV resources, so many references. And then both books, I have templates and worksheets. I put all those on there. Really great, just amazing resources. When people stumble upon it, they're like, I can't believe this is all there. So every tool I use that I, I, I have clients and students, I always say, you know, I send that link. So I use that as kind of like my online filing cabinet of support because every chance I get, you know, storytellers are my favorite people in the whole wide world, and I want to help them tell their stories. I think it's the way we change the world. And so if I can help convert storytellers to story sellers, that was the point of the book, story selling. Like, how do we – it's not art until someone encounters it. So how do you get it out of your head and onto the page and onto the screen? And that's that developed market pitch over and over again. And it's not fun. It's grunt work, but it can be fun and it can be just as creative. And if you attack it with a passion, it'll show on the page. Every bit of your marketing materials should be as exciting and thrilling and scary or funny as the project that you're pitching. And you want people to want to play with you and see that potential. So anyway, so I put all those things on my website and uh, just try to give, 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 and help every storyteller I can tell their story. 
Oh, you've done a marvelous job. Thank you so much, Heather. We sincerely appreciate your time today and all the information you've shared with us. And so I know this is going to be a bestseller. You're going to have a lot of fun with this book. Thank you. Well, I wanted to thank you, too, for all you do for independent filmmakers. So you're from the Heart Productions, doing your fiscal sponsorships and your Roy W. Dean Film Grants, and you mentor so many filmmakers. You've got your Art of Film Funding um, podcast, your book, your blog. So I'm just humbled and honored to be a tiny cog in the wheel of all that you do. You've been doing it forever. Like we couldn't remember where we met. I know it's been a decade maybe too, but I just know you just shine a light in our industry. And I'm, I'm just so blessed to be in that radiation. So I'm, I'm honored to help a little bit and give tools. And uh, you just keep doing what you're doing with that spirit and tell me how I can help anything you're doing ever. Oh, how kind to do this. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate those kind words. Very true. Best of luck. Okay. Thanks, Claire. Thank you very much. Yes, great show. Thank you, Heather. All right. Well done. Well, both of you. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. And to our listeners also, Carol and I sincerely thank you. We'd love to hear from you with your ideas for more shows. And we also thank you for your donations to fromtheheartproductions.com to support our podcast as well. Let us know about some of the topics that you'd like covered and who you would like interviewed. There are many, many wonderful other teachers out there that we could have on the show, and you may know some of them. We're always open to your feedback. And please join us next week on the Art of Film Funding podcast. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.